0: Hey everybody, welcome to The Book Leads, Impactful Books for Life and Leadership. I'm your series host and leadership performance coach, John Germillo. This podcast series is about getting to the books that have impacted the lives of people in my network. So these are great leads I'll be interviewing on these books. I want to know which book it was that contributed the most or a lot to who they are, what they do, and the value they create. Now the three types of books I'll be covering in this series is the first one, a book that they're sharing with me, a second book, one that we've both read, whether before this series or specifically for this series. And then the third is one that they've written or published themselves. So in this particular episode, my guest will be Angela Silva-Mendez, and we'll be discussing her book, which Angela can share with us in a few minutes. Um, But in any case, let me tell you a little more about Angela. Angela is the author of Getting There by Being Here, Life's Invitations to Dance. She believes it's self-work, based on embodied awareness is a crucial vehicle for social justice and a fulfilling successful life. Angela's diverse academic uh, background includes bachelor's degrees in education, communication theories, and a master's in international affairs. Guided by her desire to serve and her thirst for meaning, Angela holds a range of personal development certificates, including neurolinguistics, programming, mindfulness and coaching. Honoring her African heritage, Angela named her practice Upanji, meaning energy, a space of acceptance, holding that arises, and integration. With work experience in Europe, Africa, and the US, Angela coaches, facilitates, and teaches internationally through individual sessions, workshops, and talks. So, Angela, thank you so much for uh, sitting down for this series with me.
1: Thank you, John, for inviting me.
0: So I gave your bio, but could you give us a little more about what your work today looks like, Um, the coaching, the facilitations, the workshops, if you could just give us a summary of what that looks like, what you provide to your clients and the work you do, that'd be great.
1: So I call myself now an unconventional coach because the way I coach, uh, my clients tell me that I turn things around. Most of my clients tend to be on top of their game, top of their careers. They've done it. They've achieved it. They don't need the conventional coaching of helping them to get there. What I think I find nowadays is really this um, need to find themselves. I believe that through getting there, most of them feel they've lost themselves. They've lost themselves in the chase. And the more I invite people to be here, which is, of course, my own practice and what happened with me, with all these changes in careers and movements, I think that's what was happening with me. Every career move, I realized that that wasn't quite what I was expecting. It wasn't exactly who I wanted to be and it always goes back to who do i want to be here and that's part of what i share so very unconventionally kind of upside down i say i say outside in kind of work but still using the f- principles of coaching the strategies and of course actions but
0: listen you're you're talking to the right person cuz i like un- unconventional i like thinking you know it sounds cliche but thinking outside the box if something follows a script way too much Uh, I kind of get suspicious, um, just because there's got to be somewhere along the line where the script no longer works. Uh, So you have to go with something that's different, something unconventional. I love that word. Why can you tell us a little more about the the type of work that you may do? What kind of organizations? Is it all leaders? Um, What kind of industries? Are you specific to particular fields of professions?
1: so i was uh, doing a collaboration with an integrative health clinic in portugal and i kind of landed there by chance you know accepting life's invitations to dance and it was half personal i shared what i was doing i was invited for this new vision and new project that i loved so my my clients tend to be very diverse um, in terms of what they are looking for I find that those who are actually working on themselves and, and pushing themselves are um, people who are doing well career-wise already. But I have a range of different clients, and most of them come referred to me. So sometimes they don't even know um, what they are up to, which <laughs> is always an amazing surprise. I have very interesting stories about that.
0: Oh, yeah, like, you don't have to tell us any if they're crazy, but no,
1: no, no, it's not crazy. This I think is very typical. So I, I invite very coaching, like I need to invite clients to touch a certainty point, right in order to create a goal. But I don't start with a goal, I start inviting people to do an exercise that it's called the deathbed exercise. It's not morbid. It's not about death. Don't worry. As I say, no one (laughs) dies in my deathbed or I wouldn't have any clients. But it is an invitation to go to a place of certainty and look back into if you were to imagine your life as you wish your life to be, how would you feel? And this is a place of certainty because we all know we're going to die regardless if we like it or not. Right the only certainty we have. And from that place, you can touch this emotion that I would love to feel this way at the end of my life. And because we don't know when that is, I say more than anything you believe you want, you want to feel this every single day. So then what we bring from the exercise is actually that um, guiding star that address for our GPS, our internal GPS, that is going to inform our decisions, our, our choices, our everyday situation. So I had a, a CEO from a company, was his own company. He was overworked, stressed, tired, it was, um, sick. he was he, sick, he needed to change a lot of things in his life and his friend recommended to me and he said you know i trust her but you know you don't seem like the type of person i would work with and i said well you're here okay. already
0: okay uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah okay
1: and you you, you told your friends, so give it a shot you're in charge of the exercise i'm not leaving the exercise i just ask questions you're in charge you can stop at any time Halfway through the questions, he was like, Angela, I need to stop. I'm like, okay, had enough of my questions. He was like, don't you think it's weird? You've asked me like, I don't know, 10 questions. And I haven't mentioned my company. I haven't mentioned work.
0: I've gotten that before. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and I just gave him the question back and I said, do you think it's strange? And, of course, he came back on the second session. He had restructured his company. He had booked a flight to to visit his sister that he hadn't seen. He had blocked his calendar to go and watch his girls' um, soccer games. He had done a lot of things that he always wanted to do, but he was trapped in his own rat wheel. And what he told me, the first thing he said was like, my people in my company, they're so happy that I'm delegating more. I'm putting people in charge. They're feeling empowered. He was actually being the leader you always wanted to be, but he wasn't following his heart. He wasn't following what was most true for him here.
0: Yeah, I've I've come across that a lot. Not Not obviously with the specifics of the details of the story that you're telling, but a lot of leaders that, they're under the impression that any kind of coaching is you just telling them what they need to do in the environment that they're in. Uh, I've had that told to me or asked me. You know, can you just let me know what to say? I I, I don't want to go through all this other stuff. Just tell me what I need to say. Tell me what I need to do to get people, <laughs> to get people to do what I need. And it's it's eye opening for them because it does start. Our work is similar in that it does start. I always start from the inside out because. Uh, If you don't start from the inside out, you're just you're working from a foundation that's not real. You're working from a checklist without feeling it yourself.
1: Exactly. Oh, definitely. And I think we are in a transition both um, internally as externally. We are realizing that the fast food processed foods are not healthy for us. We were sold that that was the way to go. It was efficient. It was ready. It was it would save us time. We were told that, and we are told this in every single area in our lives. Yes. I'm told that if I do A, B, and C, I'm going to be more successful. Even the other day, I was talking to someone, and she was like, if you use templates, you're 28% have more chance of making a sale on the first half an hour. I'm like, look, I, I need to connect with a person first. And this is just my personal preference because if i'm in for the sale of course i'm in for the sale i want to sell my work i want to be successful i want to make money all those are important for me but it's much more important if this person is actually the person for me and if i can actually be supportive in this person's um dance as i call it
0: yeah and there and there's that there's that that idea again that that, that woman mentioned like that template that script that um, that it's always been done this way. So I have to be at a certain, by a certain age, I have to be a certain person in a certain career, making a certain amount of money, whether it's married with the dog, with the, this, with the, that, and people get so locked up in there and they don't, they forget to bring their uniqueness to what that story is supposed to be. And that it might not be the story for them, but that's what they've always been sold. Exactly. So Angela, can you tell us a little more about your background and how, what is it in your life? This is where I dig deep with people. What is it in your life, a moment in time, a story, an experience, a situation that might have led you down this particular path to do this particular work, whether it was 10, five years ago, 10 years ago, I I've, some of the people I interviewed, they could go back to when they were children and just what they were passionate about then. They've built into where they are now. What's your story? How did you end up? Um, what was the path that you took to get to today?
1: So I say that in my deathbed, what I find is not an answer, but I find a common ground. I call it my self-print, my uniqueness that you spoke. Right. And I believe that I've been serving from the moment my father asked me to go and get his cigarettes from the room. Right. I've been wanting to see that I can bring something of value to someone. So that is my self print that is my conductive, uh, it's one of my highest values, but it has changed throughout, because in every career I had from education to communication to um, international development, that was there, that was present, but I wasn't turning inwards. And I think it was on the transition when I did the coaching certificate that by the way, I did not want to be a coach. I did the certificate because I'm curious and I'm addicted to trainings and (laughs) I love experimenting. I wanted the tools. I saw the benefit of the tools and I wanted to include them with the women in international development that I was working with. But I did not want to be part of the problem. And I was working for an organization that I believe was creating the problem more than helping these women. And that's when I realized I needed to do something else.
0: So what was your what was your schooling like? Did you go into, uh, was the certificate after school? Was there some college, all college, high school? Like what, at what point did you make that decision? Was it later in your career?
1: In terms of coaching?
0: In terms of coaching, just ending up where you are today, but I guess coaching more specifically. Yes. Okay.
1: For coaching, because I was looking for um, a job. I had moved to England. I had left my position at Virginia Tech as a research associate, and I was looking for a position for me. I continued looking throughout. I was already coaching, like, nearly full-time when yeah. I kind of stopped um. Sending applications for my previous career still in the rat race, right? The rat race. It was really interesting. It was through a client that I tell the story in the book that I helped her get to her goal. And she came back to me saying, Angela, everything's fine. The salary is what we had designed. Back then, I would create a goal. We had designed everything is as I asked, but there's Something in me that is not quite right. What and was
0: Angela? What was the career that you were in before coaching?
1: I was uh, so I was a research associate, part of the Women and in International Development in an organization that was support supported research um, for for Women in International Development. My role was to integrate um, unheard voices into the big projects USAID projects and projects that would ultimately um, change these women's lives.
0: Because I think it's so valuable to the the insight that you provide anytime I've heard you speak in the forums and the discussions when you've spoken yourself um, I know that you have this background of just all these different locations you were born in one country uh, grown up in another can you, just because I think it's I think it's valuable, can you give me a sense, you know, from,
1: I, from I when, when you
0: were born just to where you jumped around? Just because I'm curious all the different exposure that you've had since you've been born.
1: So I often say that I'm a blend um, or I also call myself an in-between because I'm mixed race. I am a child of colonialism. So my father was from Portugal, uh, the colonizer. I was born in Angola, and for me, that has informed a lot of my own beliefs, uh, my own perceptions of what life is. As I think most of us, right, our families of origin. But because my families of origin were a blend, um, not just in terms of race, but perspectives, education ways of seeing life. I think I have been playing with that from the start. Um, I was called like a Portuguese from my father's village when I was in Angola, meaning I wasn't dark enough to be local. And once the war happened, I went to Portugal. And of course, they called me a refugee. And I was confused, right? So I think that quest for Um, who am I started at a very young age. Of course, life happens and my father died. There was a lot of turmoil after the war. People were displaced. We are not sure if we're going to go back to Angola, if we're going to stay in Portugal. So that um, informed a lot of my, um, my own relationships, the way that I connect with people, but also what I want to see in the world um, I know, by my experience, which I think most people I connect with are privileged enough to not know what that means. I know that life can change very quickly. One situation and everything disappears. It has happened to me already. And that's why the subtitle of the book, Life's Invitations to Dance, Because when I believe that this is a disaster, that this is against me, I'm cursed, whatever it is that I believe, I will not take this as the music that life is playing, and I will not see what's possible for me to dance with what life is presenting. When I change that perspective, then possibilities arrive. And then obstacles, as I often say, are just information information that I can use to my benefit or against me, but it's just information. So yes. Um, so I moved to Portugal because of the war, I ended up growing there. Um, I did my first degree there, I moved to Wales after that, uh, my husband was doing a PhD it was my husband at the time he was doing his PhD. And I thought three years of a different culture would do me good. Three years turned into 28,
0: 28
1: <laughs> years now. That we've before been, you know it. Before we know it. Um, so I moved to New Mexico first. I fell in love with the desert. I lived in Virginia. I'm now in Connecticut. I did um, my field work in Mozambique. Uh, I did, for my first degree, I did some um, studies after that in um, Germany and Munich. So yes, um, I I believe that every interaction I've had, either cultural or uh, professional, has informed the way that I work and I deal with people.
0: I was going to say, even if I didn't know that you had a book, the one we're going to discuss today, even if I didn't know you had a book, I would say just listening to your life, there's a book in there somewhere, just a memoir or something. So if you haven't written it, I'm going to ask you about other books. But if you haven't written it, that definitely sounds like one that should be written just to just to share what kind of insight you can get, because I think that so many people can relate to with everything going on in the world. Not everybody has the same exact experience, but so many people, I believe, can relate to refugee stories or not belonging or what you make of that that feeling, that sense that you don't belong. So I I, I would read that book if you decide to read it, uh, to write it, Angela. Don't
1: tell Jen. Don't tell Jen.
0: I won't tell Jen. Um, can you introduce us then to your book, the one you just referenced? Um, yeah. Why don't you introduce us to the book and, uh, provide us kind of a sense of how, how you came to write the book. So an introduction to the book and then, you know, how long has that idea been playing in your mind of writing that particular book? How did it come to be?
1: So the book, I first was invited to write for two different projects for friends about my story, parts of my story related to what they were working on. And I loved it. You know, writing two, three pages was fun. I really enjoyed it. Every time a client would ask me about a book, i would dismiss it. You know, English is not my first language. Who do I think I am? The imposter syndrome that we talked about. I was like, no, 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 not me, not me, not me. Who am I to write a book? And of course, um, there's always a moment where the seeds grow. And after those two projects, a client just asked me very straightforward. So for when's your book, because I was talking about these two projects. And I said soon. And you know, when, for the first time, I did not answer Oh, no, no, not me. And I was kind of intrigued with my own answer. And I took it, I took it, I played with it, I started writing bits and pieces. And of course, one thing leads to another and I meet um Grace with Publish Your Purpose Press. And about a year or so later, uh, about a year and a half later, here's the book. And...
0: So it's like you got to the point where even when that final person asked you subconsciously, you said, okay, yeah, now it's time.
1: Yeah.
0: So how do you even, and and this is the thing with the authors that I bring on here to talk to, how do you even go about for your particular book? How did you go about structuring it? How did you go about putting it together? What did you want to include in there? What did you want to capture?
1: So, um, initially I wanted to write about my deathbed exercise, which informs all my work. So it was still related to work, but it was much more specific. And of course, um, this was 2020, beginning of 2020, the pandemic hit, and I started uh, supporting clients that were going through all sorts of um, different turmoils in their lives. Yeah. And as I did that, the the book kind of came into into form, I knew I had to put my practices, I knew that my principles were important, that people needed them to just remind them, I often put the principles in the way of an earthquake just to say we didn't choose, we didn't ask for, but earthquakes happen, and we all have earthquakes in our lives, things that happen and just shift everything. And the pandemic seemed appropriate to use those principles. And, of course, I add the obstacles as well, that most of us get stuck into the obstacle. And, And that was the book. Who gave it form? was Jen's team team between the developmental editor and, um, I don't know, another editor, I worked with two, two editors, so one gave it a structure, and she kind of tied it all back to this analogy that I say life is a dance, and she tied everything back to the dance that wasn't as well tied together, and... And then they ask stories to illustrate this point and illustrate this point. And then it was just up for me to um, follow their lead because obviously they, they knew what they were doing.
0: Can you provide a general overview of the book? For instance, if um, maybe you have a copy there, maybe you know it by heart. If somebody were to open up the book, I guess, first of all, overall, what is the path that somebody's taking in the book? What is the the arch of what they're going to see in the book? And then if you could kind of give us a few examples of the chapters and what we would find in each of the chapters, just a few chapters. You don't have to go through them all, just so we can get a good sense of what's in the book.
1: So my first, my introduction has a story of, um, it, it happened to me in Mozambique doing my field work. And I think it illustrates the whole book. Because as I was sharing my discomfort, I call it, get me out of here, which is a voice that I think I often have in my head when things don't go according to plan. I want out. It's like, get me out of here. Oh, it's yeah. too we uncomfortable. Do. Yeah. So I start with that story that I think it's relatable, even though the circumstances are unique. But I use that to invite people to reflect. Again, come back here. And while being here, remember um, why we're here. And that is the introduction. Then I I introduce myself as um, an unconventional coach with an unconventional life. I give a little bit of my story because the editors wanted to share more of my life. One of them said that this should be a memoir, but I thought "Eh, maybe not. I talk about my principles, the four principles, basic coaching principles and why I turn them outside in um, to start with, what's the value of that. Mm -hmm. And of course, after that, I talk about the obstacles, the obstacles I share that I see in my clients. And I see that in my life as well, this chasing something that when we get there, we realize it doesn't reflect who I I am, it doesn't reflect what I want to see in the world. But I had this image, you know, this ad that told me if I eat that yogurt, I am going to be thin, blonde, um, energetic. So I buy the yogurt, even though I don't like the yogurt, even though it doesn't agree with me, but I'm sold something that unconsciously we we take that. So I talk about um, the obstacles, and then I give the steps in how can we come back here and listen to the music that life is playing for us and it is that invitation to slow down not that i don't want you to get there of course i do but when we slow down and we actually connect with who we are and what truly we want in our self print i have i have a chapter about my self print my uniqueness my i believe this is what the world needs from me the world doesn't need me to be like john The world needs me to be me. And John has lots of richness to bring to the world, and so do I. And I think this is the invitation of the book, of course. Then I um, introduce a couple of stories from clients to say that this is the point that I can actually rewrite my dance, because I've been trying to follow a choreographed dance but this is the point that I start feeling the music and I can truly rewrite my old dance as opposed to follow some predefined moves.
0: Yeah, I love that that image of it being a dance. And, you know, you're going to come across different music and different um, styles of music. Uh, but I love I love that idea that it is a dance that you, you have to be you have to go into it when called to it. And it, it's funny that you are interesting that you started this during the pandemic, like right before the pandemic is when it started, because it seems like this is a book that most people would need because it's been such a year that's been just confusing. You know, there's been no script for this. There's been no script at all. I mean, not in our lifetime. There have been previous pandemics, but uh, in an era, in a lifetime before most of ours, uh, so it seems like this is just one of those things where the imagery that you give to it about whatever life's giving you, like you have to prepare yourself, you have to go with it. But um, but being particular, and I'm I'm sure there are detailed lessons in there about how to go about it because people just forfeit so much when they get intimidated by what life gives them, uh, and I'm sure you've seen various examples. Th- You've seen it crafted in different examples and different ways and different angles. But I I just keep hearing you saying about, you know, that deathbed exercise and making sure that um, you're not going along a path, along a script that's going to leave you nowhere. Because Mm -hmm. I think what rings true is that so many people are focused on the end goal from this vantage point, not from your exercise, but for now, they say, I want this thing. And they're, they're doing whatever they're doing in the moment to try to get to that thing. But where, where people, where I see them get frustrated is that they're not enjoying the process now. They're not looking at the process now. They're not learning from the process now. And I think there's a little more flexibility. There's a little more freedom when you learn to enjoy the dance, I guess you would say. That freedom that you have now in the moment, not just focusing on a goal and not paying attention to what's in front of you, but living every day. It, for me, in my personal life, I, I see that more and more. And then when I work with clients, I see that more and more that they're so focused on a goal that they're not enjoying the steps that it takes to get there.
1: It, it, for me, it's as if they're not living wholeheartedly, right? Because we are so distracted in getting there that we forget ourselves we forget what we stand for we forget what's important to us we forget what truly matters in the end and i'm yet to find someone at their deathbed who will tell me that they want to die having x amount in, in their bank account i have not met a single person that has mentioned how much money they want
0: i think even if you did and they gave you that that they wanted certain amount of money in the bank i think if if you did find somebody that answered that way if you asked them why i don't think they could give you a really good answer yeah, yeah. that's the other thing is is we may have an idea of what success at the end looks like but we're just picking up that definition from a previous generation or a previous whatever came before us Uh, where if we get wrapped up in that, if we just kind of accept it as it is and use that as our guiding star, then we get lost because we haven't tied ourselves personally into it.
1: Yeah. And especially for leaders, right? You work with leadership and leaders and more and more the tendency you notice, you know, in the list of the top 10 qualities of a good leader, self-awareness starts to appear right? The ability to listen to others is so important, the ability to um, encourage others. And all this is part of what we can only learn by doing that with ourselves and with our lives. How can you empathize with someone that's going through some difficulty in life, if you don't even allow yourself to have difficulties in your life? Right, you put the facade. You you put the mask. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what we are told. You know, I can do it all. I'm strong, which is the culture that I have learned to value. I wanted to be stronger. I wanted to not feel things so deeply. I wanted to uh, make more money. I wanted to be more effective. I wanted to be. I wanted to be able to work eighty hours a week and not feel tired. And most of that becomes our major obstacles and i see that in clients i have clients who work for big companies and they're on top of their careers and they are 35 36 and they tell me you know i rest when i'm on a plane not now thank goodness the pandemic also helped but when they first yeah. answer that i felt how can this be right
0: yeah i mean i i've it's it's a topic that comes up every once in a while. You'll see an article about it, about people trying to keep up, people trying to stay busy. And a lot of it is for, not all of it, but a lot of it is pressure that people put on themselves to look a certain way. Um, that you need to be busy, that you need to be stretched thin, and that shows how much hard work you're putting in. And everybody has their own different priorities. Uh, I know when I'm talking to people, the lessons that I try to share with them, conversations I try to start, it's not to say it's hard to be cookie cutter because people are so different. Um, So anything that I share is kind of like this is just an option. Whatever I share, whatever I'm speaking about, whatever I'm writing about is an option that I want you to consider, at least consider. If I kind of spell it out and it doesn't make sense to you and you want to go back to burning out, then maybe talk to somebody else and maybe they can put it in a in a way much better than I can, but at least consider a different method because they're just so we just have this thing where, and I always say this, it goes back to when we're kids and you're in school. And if you fail or if you don't do as good as the person next to you, you will stay behind. You'll have to do this entire grade all over again. So that puts it in our mind that if we're not keeping up with people, and you know how kids are when they're younger, like how they look at you when you're different. Um, it all starts in childhood, and I th- it has so much to do with that. And it's just a continuation of society just saying, "No, you're you. It hasn't worked out. People are going to move on without you." And there's just so much pressure to keep up,
1: which is true. And I say, you know, one of my practices on the last chapter is. Um, Speaking the three languages, like the physical language, the emotional language, and the mental language, right? So in the physical world, of course, you need a recipe to bake a cake. You need to learn to drive. But even with driving, there's so much more than just you learning to drive. If you're not paying attention to the road and the other cars and traffic, you can't ride, ride oh, you can't drive with a pre-planned routes and you say I'll stop at that stop sign for 30 seconds and then I move you can't right and, but we want to do that with life yeah. we have this pre-established plan that we want to achieve and it is coming back here that actually makes us realize okay what is true for me here and of course the fear is If I'm reflecting on what's true here, I'm going to sit on the sofa and not do a thing. And I've had a client say this to me. It's like, you don't know me. If I allow myself to sit, I will never get up. And I said, can I challenge you? Can I ask you if you give yourself permission to just sit on the sofa for the full weekend She didn't have children that weekend. I said, can you just give yourself permission for one weekend? If nothing comes out of it, you just spend the weekend on the sofa. That's all. Do whatever you want. Binge, watch TV, whatever you want. And she sent me an email on Saturday, go like, I did what you said. And half an hour later, I had lots of ideas of things I wanted to do and projects that I have not done, and I just went and did them. Yeah. And I was like, exactly.
0: I forget where it comes up every once in a while, but I forget which book I recently read where it just spoke to. Uh, I'm so bad at this. My memory is crap. Um, I don't even know if it was a book or a workshop or a forum that we had attended together, Angela, uh, where it talked about the importance of solitude. You know, everybody believes that the ultimate productivity hack is moving on 90 miles an hour and, you know, texting on, in one hand and calling on the other and emailing with your feet, like being so busy, but that we forget about the power of just stopping and being alone, yeah. focusing on our foundation. And I found that I've, 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 I've been one of those people where for me, it's hard to stop. It's hard to connect with people to be on this series or to write or to whatever it may be, but everybody needs that solo time. And I've found that when you come back, if you're working on something, you take a break a decent amount of time. And and for some people, maybe you start with five minutes, then the next day it's 10. The hardest part about anything is that people believe it has to be, oh, you're making me take off a day. No, just start with you know 20 minutes, half hour, an hour. Sure. And anytime I've taken a good break where really I wasn't doing anything and I wasn't trying to sneak anything in, when I come back to my projects, you're refreshed. You have a new foundation. You have a new energy. You have a new perspective. Maybe you come back to what you're writing and you're like, this is all crap. Or what you stopped writing for because you hit an obstacle, when you come back from that break, you see it in a completely different light. And I think we underestimate how important it is just to step back from everything, especially, excuse me, especially in this hyper-connected world of social media and instant access with our cell phones and and everything, whether it's the computer multiple computers in your room, your cell phone, whatever it may be. So true. I think there's such an urgency in getting people to start thinking that way. Uh, and it's dangerous, too, because now kids are are have this, you know, they can have this dependence on video games and tablets and whatnot. There's such an easy access for them to everything that they might want to see, where when you you and I were growing up, we had to wait for certain things. We didn't have that instant gratification that you see a lot more now.
1: It It is true. And, and still, it's so easy to get used to it, right? We yeah. can't wait for a few seconds for a page to refresh. We're like, what's going on? Right? And it it is so used to. And for me, again, it's this coming back here and noticing, ah, I got impatience because the sign turned to red. Oh, interesting. Ah, what is this about? So when I turn to myself, I'm in my moment of power. I have a choice in how I want to create this moment. Do I want to give power to the light? Do I want to leave this moment the way I truly want to experience it? And then it's, it's my choice. It's my action. Turn my focus. It is my responsibility. And then I am fully participating in creating my reality in a conscious way, which I think it's what people truly want. That's what leaders want. That's what parents want, right? To be there with their kids and read them and know what's truly going on with them in a way that they can respond and notice the signs as they arrive, not 10 years later. That might not be, it might be too late.
0: I mean, you and your coaching, you probably see it as well. I think any coach sees it where All it takes to get some great ideas going, to get their best energy going, just starting, just believing is just the right question that most often these people operate, all of us operate in a world where where it's fast paced, where we rarely stop and ask questions, like real questions, not about the work, but how the work is being done, not about life, but how life is being lived. And it's amazing what happens when you just ask the right question. Because a lot of the the best thing about being a coach is that people can talk about their work if that's what it comes to, but they don't have to bring that home. They don't have to bring it all home. Mm -hmm. They have somebody in between, a buffer between those two worlds. And it's amazing what happens when they just feel like they can finally speak to somebody where they're not saying it at work and maybe somebody takes it the wrong way and then something bad happens where they get fired or demoted or whatever And they don't want to bring it home because they're stressed about it something that's concerning them so when they have that coach that can kind of it's confidential and whatnot Mm -hmm. it's amazing what happens when you just ask the right questions and they're allowed to tell their real story of what they're feeling
1: and you know that was the part that i believe mindfulness informs my work as well because sometimes not sometimes i think most of us as humans as mammals we need connection right we regulate having someone in front of us kind of saying it's it's okay it's okay to be upset and it's okay and it is okay but through that um allowance so so that ability to be here with something that's okay possibilities open up and until we actually ready to stop just for that sometimes a few seconds sometimes just ponder into the question. I sometimes don't even ask the question. I ask what what's arising, uh, right? Just to notice what's real here. And we let that, that life is bringing up to lead into what is really asking for attention right now. Because yeah. if we give it the attention, then I most of the time the clients know what they need. They know what they want.
0: Yeah. It, yeah. You brought up permission. I mean, it's all about, again, for me, it just goes all goes back to the way that we, we, we grow up. Um, and we have this facade, like you mentioned before, this facade that we have to keep things together or look a certain way. And it's behind that facade that the inner workings are really going and they have no way to express that. They have nowhere to share that, no way to share that. And sometimes they don't even know until that question is asked. They can operate with that need subconsciously and not even realize it until somebody asks that one particular specific question. True. So, Angela, can you give us a couple more of the title chapters just so we get a sense of kind of how it is that you wanted people to walk through the book, um, the path that you wanted to lay out for them?
1: One of the things I did with the book, and for me, this was um, a conversation I had with both of the editors, that I wanted each chapter to stand on them them, itself, mainly because I am a reader that gives myself permission to read the end Mm -hmm. first, if I feel like it, if I'm curious enough. And I wanted people to do that, to look at the chapters and go like, "Hmm, four principles, let me see what this is about. And so the chapters, of course, are connected because they are in the order that I work mainly with. But, of course, the last chapter, which are the practices, I use them throughout. So uh, so we have the introduction and unchoreographed dance, which is my life, life's invitations, the four principles, obstacles to the dance, the last dance, which was my own experience with... Um, being in hospital and considering, uh-oh, I asked this question to people and now I'm here. What if oh, wow. What if this is my last moment, which was, yeah. uh, it was not fun, but it was funny.
0: <laughs> it was not fun, but it was funny. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I guess I don't know if it's technically the definition of irony. Um, but yeah, the fact that you've kind of revolved your coaching practice about that question about being on your deathbed and then being at a point where you don't know if this is it. Yeah. Um,
1: The doctor literally tells me, I don't know if you're understanding, you know, you can die. And at this moment, my answer, I didn't say it out loud, but my answer was, so can you. It's like, (laughs) if we're alive, we can die. But it was, it was um, funny in that aspect of, I was practicing my practices. I was there because of the deathbed. I was really questioning, okay, if this is my last moment, how do I want to live it? How do I want to own this moment? Because I'm doing already everything. I'm in hospital. I'm taking medication. I'm doing everything I'm told that I should be doing. So that part's covered. So I
0: mean, it could be life just testing you, you know, because so many people preach something work as a coach but when it comes down to it not that we can solve all our problems but when it comes down to it are you going to be able to take at least some of your own advice so it's peculiar that you were put in that situation but i'm i'm sure even your view of your coaching your methodology your values your book um well not the book because you didn't have it at the time but uh i'm sure so much changed in that one particular moment where everything that you've done came even more alive and more awake just based on Finally being in that kind of experience that you've talked about.
1: Absolutely. It it but that's what research shows, right? It's it's those moments that actually inform us of what just truly, truly matters.
0: Angela, can you share, you don't have to go into details, you don't have to read the chapters, but can you just share what the four principles are? Just so sure. if people are curious and they want to get the book, they can dive into sure, you know, the the detail of what you're gonna share now, just the four principles themselves.
1: The basic coaching principle. So I create my reality. I say that, of course, because I, I just create how I experience this moment. That is my reality. I don't create the facts. I don't create the pandemic. I don't create the earthquake. I don't create the crazy boss. I only create how I want to experience this moment as is. So the pandemic is the music playing and I have to come back here and say, okay, how do I want to live this as is? And then, of course, focus and, coach, and coaching training, you learn what you focus on expands. But I turn this focus into mindfulness. Because what I focus my attention, I am curious. So I'm learning about it. And the way I learn it, it informs my decisions in a way that is much more consciousness.
0: Right. Angela, have you ever read uh The Obstacle is the way? No. By Ryan Holiday. I think I had mentioned some of the stoic things that the books that I have read, but um again it, it, again, it, it's uh it, it's it's called The Obstacle Is Is the Way. The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And again, this is one of those examples where so many people have great lessons, but they can put it in different visualizations. Um it's like your message is very similar to theirs, but you you paint it very differently. Uh, but it's essentially stoic philosophy. Just I'm not a specialist, and I picked up a couple books about it. But it's 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 very much just kind of what's in what's in your way. What is the obstacle? That's what's going to make you better. You have to learn from it. So before you get emotional, before you lose yourself to emotion what can you control because i think a lot of us if we come up on an obstacle we get emotional and we kind of lose ourselves instead of just focusing okay what are the things that i can control so the obstacle the what is the way that's the first book i read like that i i think you would find it interesting and i'd be curious to see what you think based on the way you perceive it and word it and paint that picture versus how it's painted in in that particular book i mean it's it's very different from your book but it's that underlying message about Mm -hmm. controlling what you can.
1: I, I honestly believe, as I shared, you know, that obstacles can be both an asset or an obstacle, it depends on the way we use them. Yes. So it is the same thing. It's the same desk right now is a great asset is helping me to talk with you. But if I want to open my window, it becomes an obstacle because it's right in front of me, I will have to assess. How do I want to get to the window, considering that my desk is in front of me? Mm-hmm. And of course, it's easy in the material world to understand that the desk in front of me—it's not an obstacle; it's just a desk. But everything else is just that: it's a pandemic, it's uh, a crazy boss, it's uh, the You've weather. You mentioned crazy
0: boss a couple times.
1: I had a. I a mean, I few. know they're
0: out there. <laughs> I just love the way you keep bringing up crazy bosses.
1: I have so many clients who have bosses that are out of this world. Yeah. that It's like, what is going on? It's
0: it's remarkable that that kind of thing still happens. I know. Because at the very least, if you're made a manager or a supervisor, and and not everybody is that self-aware, right? But you think, okay, maybe maybe i'm not the type to be a great leader but let me just read a couple books and just see what they want to see let me just even just to pretend but it's just amazing how many bosses out there just don't even they're not even aware of that they're on the wrong path or that they're not on the right path or that they're not even trying it's it's amazing just because i don't know with the proliferation of the internet you think anybody could google how to be a good boss how to be a good manager how to be a good leader and still there are bosses out there that aren't even trying they're they're just kind of doing whatever and, and not even trying to make things better it's it's insane how many times you still hear that that story it's unfortunate
1: and i i think most of the examples i have from clients what's happening is that the boss is so stuck in the results oriented what she needs or he needs to show up at the end of the day yes,
0: yes. that
1: they lose track of the people they are working with what they're creating as a work environment and what the end result is actually i think that's where we get that cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. that we can't actually integrate and some some of them actually say the right things they say this is what they want to be but then putting it into action, there's that lack of self-awareness, that the discrepancy between what is really possible right now for them because, of course, there's no time to be here.
0: Absolutely. There's, I mean, they they maybe want to try to look a certain way to the bosses above them.
1: Yeah.
0: They want to exactly. keep up that facade of everything's in control, I got the yeah. right results, but not in the best fashion, and they're not focusing on the people they're leading Meaning they're not focusing and, and laying the groundwork for a good ripple effect behind them, a good environment. They're just sometimes they just leave disaster in their I wake.
1: Know. I know.
0: So and I if, think you Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, no, no. I think that's sad. And it's part of the obstacles that we we don't even we're not even aware that it, we are creating them. We're blaming others. But most of our obstacles are self-created right? Some people say we are our worst enemies. I don't think we are worst enemies, because we are, you know, under the illusion that we're trying our best. But we are because we are unconscious, we are unaware. And that's, that's the invitation of come back here. Notice there's no, there's nothing that you can't deal from here. Yeah. And, and that is the, the small steps which the four principles so then it's responsibility what's my Mm -hmm. ability to respond to what's here now and the here now is important because of course ideally i wanted to respond in the best way possible that i've done in the past but my circumstances changed so maybe now it's not possible this bringing what's possible right here now and of course action and as you mentioned action has to come in the smallest step possible, which most people don't like, they Uh, won't,
0: they, they think the the best result has to come from the most effort, they want it right away, like we're just instant gratification, instant gratification.
1: Yeah. And of course, then we have rewrite your moves in terms of once, once you learn to be here, you can rewrite your dance, rewrite your moves. And then I end with the practices, the the eight practices that inform, I think, everything, every breath I take, I ha- I'm i in one of these practices, because they, they've been such a huge part of my life.
0: Yeah. So now that you've broken down the book for us, and I kind of went through the process, or asking you about the process, your experience of getting your life, and then up to the book, what made you want to write it? So now in writing it i'm curious what lessons you've taken away from the book so even though you have obviously the knowledge to fill the book with the lessons for other people now that you've written that book how has that changed you how have you do you look at the lessons differently what are your major takeaways from that experience of writing your book
1: that these practices i use throughout the book every deadline every feedback from um, an editor, every conversation with Jen or Bailey Morse, that was unbelievable. Every interaction, I had to go through my practices, a few of them, all of them. But the more I use them, the more I realized how important these are. I believe they are lifesavers. For me, they have been. And it doesn't matter if I wake up at four in the morning with this idea for that chapter that I was writing and I got stuck, it didn't matter if it was I got feedback that I didn't agree with, like the title of the book, one of my editors did not want this title. Hmm. She sent me reasons why this title would not sell. And I was like, this title is me. This is what I do. This is everything I believe And of course, with conversations, we agree that, you know, let's go on and use the title. Most of the comments I receive are a great title. I'm really curious about the book because of the title. But I had to go through, okay, do I want a title that sells? Do I want the, the eight practices to be successful for life?
0: Another list, yeah.
1: That is not me. I have the eight practices, they are here, but it's not the promise in the title. The promise in the title is this invitation that you want to get there, come back here. Come back here, be who you are, as you are. And the possibilities will open up so much more than if you are trying to be someone else, trying to be something else, trying to get somewhere else. Because that's my life. Who would have said that, a girl that was born in a coffee plantation would be writing a book with a black illiterate grandmother after going through war and trauma and after being uprooted who would have said that I would be here being interviewed by you right no one
0: that's a that's an amazing story and and yeah I mean we we see we see the person in front of us, so I met you through, again, another person that I met during the pandemic that I have never met in person. <laughs> but I met you at one of the discussion forums. You presented mm-hmm. at one of them, and you've been on there at the yeah. same as I, uh, time as I have after you had spoken, so I got a sense of who you were as a person. And No, I I, I, ne- I never pictured um, like your roots, so we may have an impression of where somebody may come from or where they don't come from. But then I never would have imagined all the moves that you made geographically, uh, the education, your experiences in different countries, uh, your mixed race uh, experience. It's just amazing that everybody does have um, a story to tell. And yours is yours is amazing just because there are so many components that go into it. And just like you said, from what you just said, uh, a literate grandmother to an author an author whose reach is now beyond her immediate network by putting out this book. So that's an amazing story.
1: Exactly. And I, I know I would not have written this book had I not practiced these because my voice kept showing me who are you to write this book, right? The imposter syndrome. Who do you yeah. think you are? There's so much better writers, better coaches, better this, better that. But this is this is what I do. I'm not promising anything that I haven't done it myself. I'm not sharing anything that's not mine.
0: Yeah, I had done. Um, today was day three, I think, of um, or no, day four, of Jen's author lab. Um, through Publisher Purpose Press, she holds these labs every couple months for people that are. Um, playing around with writing maybe further along with the writing but i mean day by day she goes to you know what are you writing who's your audience how much do you write and you know one of the things she said was you know we're we're all pumped about it this week i love how honest she is because she's like we're all pumped about it you guys are all pumped about it and she's speaking the way that i am right now and she's got facebook up and um and on youtube and she can see comments so she can't see us so we're commenting and and she's reading and And she says, I love how pumped everybody is, but it's going to come a point where this is going to be over and then it's on you. So it's like, you have to keep yourself motivated, uh, and keep going. So, and I bring it up only because she brought up imposter syndrome. You get inside your own head and you're like, who am I to write this? Who am I to, um, to even do this, this podcast series? You know, in all honesty, I've said it before. It it always sneaks in that imposter syndrome. But the thing with this is, um, this is for me. This is for me and my network to share ideas, to share their books. Um, But I think you have to get to the point where you, you, when there's imposter syndrome, and I don't know, maybe you tell me, Angela, where you have to get to the point that what you're doing, obviously, it's important if other people follow along. Absolutely, right? But you have to get to the point where you're completely happy in what you're doing, because once that becomes a part of you, the imposter syndrome, it's always there. It's probably Um, standing behind me right now, but it's, it's always there. But when you get to the point where you are fully what you're doing, you kind of lose a little bit of that. So it'll come back and it does come in waves. It still comes in waves, but as long as you're bringing your authenticity, your passion, your value, which all sounds cliche, but as long as you are fully in what you're doing, hopefully it gets a little out of that. It gets you a little out of that imposter syndrome. What, When it's come to you, what do you think about imposter syndrome and and how have you dealt with it?
1: So my experience and because my first practice is acceptance is to accept that this imposter syndrome is here and I'm not stupid. So my imposter syndrome is not going to bring me evidence or comments that are untrue. So whatever my imposter syndrome is saying, who am I? you know, born in Africa, literate grandmother, who am I? It's true. Who am I? So until I actually accept that, I cannot see the value of exactly that. It's because I come where I come from. It's because I had to learn to exist. It's because I did not. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. It's because of that.
0: Such a good point. That
1: people need to hear my own take because the other takes they're granted. And then what was an obstacle becomes an asset, becomes an inspiration, becomes Absolutely. that client that asked me to write about what I do. Then I write for her. Then I write about what is true for me. And then I ask for help because yes, I'm not majored in English and I needed support at so many levels, the editors, the PYP, amazing team. I I wouldn't be here alone. I did not learn any of this alone. And I've learned so much from my illiterate grandmother, so much about life.
0: Yeah. And I think the lessons that you've talked about in the last hour uh specifically in the last minutes about just going back to who you are uh taking tapping into who you are it's something that's come up that i've seen in students where you know they leave college and they they think that they're first and foremost their degree or maybe high school and their diploma or just their certificate and they leave so much of who they are they don't make themselves their uniqueness come out um and that confuses them when they get into the workplace they're just trying to not hide behind their degree but i I know what it's like yeah um you have that degree society told you you need it that is your power um but yeah they get to the point where they don't bring their uniqueness they don't bring their best value so throughout the time that you've mentioned all of this and shared with us about your book granted we we first tend to think about it in terms of adults but more and more, every time I'm I'm talking about leadership or coaching or life lessons, it's 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 always about for me going back to tell the students again. This is an option to consider. This isn't the way you need to think about it, but this is an option. It kind of opens up their eyes at that point, so they see that they don't have to forfeit completely who they are for the sake of the traditional script that society puts in front of them.
1: Yeah. I. I tell that to the young people in my life. I tell them, my generation messed up. You need to create a world that you truly want to see. You cannot follow us. If you follow us, you're going to repeat the same mistakes. And we are obviously seeing that doesn't work. And it, it is a lot on you. But there's a lot of us here to support you too. But we need you to do that. So I think that is important.
0: Yeah, so that leads into my last and final, my last question, my next and final question. Generally, what lessons do you hope others can take away from the book? and how do you think others can apply the lessons to their own needs that are transferable so they don't have to be coaches like us they don't have to operate in a certain industry or profession how can your book apply and i believe i know the answer but i want to hear it in your words how do you think it can apply and apply to just anybody in general no matter who's reading it
1: and i i would say for me the first one is slow down And the slowdown is relative and it's proportional to where I am, right? If I'm going 100 miles an hour, I know I cannot slow down to 20. I need to slow down to 90, right? But it is this slowdown that will allow me a a different take into what's here. What is my self-print? What is my self-print longing for? Because this longing, We don't want to hold it. We want to get rid of it. We want to solve it. Hence our addictions, hence our habits that turn into addiction sometimes because we can't hold this discomfort of looking at my imposter syndrome and saying, it's true. I am that too. I am not just that, but I am that too. So for me, this invitation is really to slow down and to connect with what's really truly here for you. It's not going to be comfortable. It's going to take um, courage. It is going to take commitment. But if we want to be leaders, and I think we're all leaders in our own lives, even, you know, regardless of what you do, Someone's looking up to you, exactly, and if we are going to do that, we have to do that from this place, because if not, how are we going to feel about ourselves at at the end of our lives? So looking back, I would regret not having written the book, right? My old lady, in my deathbed, <laughs> would say, "What were you thinking? yeah Right.
0: You you gave up the ability to share those ideas, share those lessons with a with a broader audience than you could reach in your everyday.
1: Exactly.
0: So how many more books are we thinking?
1: Oh, let me let me take care of this one first. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You don't ask a mother with a newborn when's the next one, right?
0: Yeah. You have idea you have ideas brewing in your head though, right?
1: I have a project with a friend of mine, but she's going to leave that one. It is about the deathbed exercise that she worked in palliative care. She's a PhD academic. She's gonna write a completely different book, but I'm going to collaborate in terms of the book that I wanted to see um, happen. So it will be more a collaborative project and that will be, that, that, that is, you know, it, it will take its, its time but that that's that's in conversation right
0: now but actually yeah there was one more question just if you want to speak about any i mean you just did but any other projects or anything that we should pay particular attention to when i post this online the video as well as the audio I'll, i'll include all your contact information and website but if there's anything else that you wanted to share uh before we wrap up please do
1: so if you're getting the book i have i've been meeting people as in a book club to talk about chapter by chapter so we have that opportunity to and i'm loving that to, to hear people's different perspectives i am leading a mindfulness group um as well that i'm calling being here i kind of blends mindfulness with these practices as well and uh, at the end of September I'm launching the eight practices for people who want to dive deeper and go into a a much more personal take from the practices so it will be eight weeks um, live calls group calls but from that perspective
0: that's amazing I love those kind of um, those kind of Uh, sessions, those kind of programs where, uh, especially now with the pandemic, it's kind of opened up our eyes to how much we can access the virtual world of just hearing each other's voices, that it's not just a workbook online or anything like that, but just hearing the voice, especially of the author of a book, the author of the program, just to kind of get a sense of why it is they did what they did and how they want to share it. So that's amazing.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm loving it. It's really, that's that's confirming my doubts when I was writing the book. So these these are the reasons why I wrote the book, for to hear people's comments.
0: Congratulations, Angela.
1: Thank you, John.
0: Thank you so much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. And the book is Getting There by Being Here, Life's Invitations to Dance, Angela Silva-Mendez. Thank you to everyone for watching and listening. If there's anything that I might have missed questions that I should ask, please let me know. Please reach out, whether on social media, my email, I'll put all my contact information as well as Angela's out there that she shared with me. And I'll forward any questions so that we kind of cover all the bases. We only have limited amount of time and I only have um my old man brain tries to rack up the right kind of questions to ask and the right follow up questions. But if you need anything else, if you want to learn any more about Angela, any questions that I might have posed, just shoot me an email, let me know. Until the next time, take care. Bye.